Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Let me just pray for a Father, thank you for what you are working in each of us individually right now. And I pray that what I share, and I thank you, Ashley, I thank you that what I share will resonate with what you're already doing inside of us. Thank you that you're not just doing something through what I speak, but you're doing something in each of our individual lives. Um, and thank you for what you're working, God. Thank you that you are at work um, in us um, as individuals, as a community together, but also in this city, in the lives of the people we meet, in our work, in our school runs, in our homes, in our neighbourhoods. You are at work in all those people, in all those situations. And I just pray that by your spirit you would help us become more aware and more conscious of that than ever before. That we would be able to partner and engage with what is already going on. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I want to carry on um, with this series called The Table, um, which is all about how Jesus welcomes all to belong and all to kind of come together and I'm going to spend probably a joke with Sai probably five minutes just recapping Sai's message from last week um, so if you missed that happy days you get it in five minutes if you had it already maybe also happy days because um, hopefully it'll be a good recap um, but Sai talked about the idea and he introduced the idea of the table that it is this kind of there is a literalness to the table and when we look at the life of Jesus we see this kind of literalness at work that there's literal points when he engages with people around a table and therefore there's this sense of, of eating together this sense of fellowship this sense of um interacting and being with other people so there's this idea of the table being a literal thing that we can gather around we sat in there had tea and coffee we literally gathered around a table and in the process of doing that action we were engaging with one another that makes sense whether we were standing around the table sitting around the table or whatever we we're doing we we're engaging with one another so there's the literalness of the table and we can learn something from that, we can gain something from that, and that's important. But equally, there's the metaphorical, the kind of analogy aspect of the table, which is, takes it a step even further with this idea that the table's not limited by size, the table's not limited by location, the table's not limited by kind of whether you're in a certain church denomination or whatever, maybe the table is this metaphorical thing that actually all are welcome to come to. And that doesn't necessarily mean they need to come to a specific location, so they don't need to have a sense of belonging because they come and sit and have coffee with us in that other room. That can be an expression of that thing. But this idea that the table is this thing that, that is set up in the heart of God for to be a place where everybody can come and find a sense of belonging and hope and home and togetherness. And it's that idea that the, the table creates this metaphor, the, this picture for us of a place we can come to. Um, and if we really want to go a little bit weird on it that maybe we're already at uh, but I won't go down that thing right now but the idea that it is with us like God is with us and therefore we see Jesus as the table then Jesus is present with us and therefore that sense of table is with us it's about our awareness about being there does that make sense so far so this idea the table being this place that we come to as a sense of community but also this sense of actually broader than just that this sense of something that we're all invited to to find belonging in Jesus um and actually, this idea of table in the ancient world, Sai so talked about the fact, is even more significant. This, this concept of eating together, of being together, of, of fellowshipping together, of being in, in the same location together was massive. Um, and we kind of see that the, the, who you sat and ate with in ancient times really, really mattered. 
in terms of you didn't eat and be at the table with people who weren't your ethnic group or weren't your social group or weren't your religious group. You, you, you stayed away from them and you kept to your own kind of groups. And we sometimes see that in, in more recent times in, in even like British history. The idea that um, there's a, the idea that, 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 that the rich elite or the kind of aristocracy eat in a certain place and that the, the kind of servants or the people that look in the house, they eat somewhere else. This idea that you don't mix those two tables because there's a significance about who you eat with. And I suppose even more recently, we kind of look at that and this is when the analogy or the metaphor of the table comes through, that people are careful about who they associate with. We've obviously got the Queen's funeral coming up on Monday. There is lots and lots of different discussions and conversations about who can and cannot be invited to that funeral because it creates an impression of something if they're invited. Now we might agree with that or not disagree with that, but I know for example, don't, there was a Saudi Arabian prince who made the news because I think he was on the list, I don't know where he still is, he was on the list to be invited, but there's a big uproar about the fact he was invited because of things that he has allegedly done or been involved in it in his country. And so therefore you see this idea of the table being somewhere actually that we're not sure about having everybody come because what does it look like for us to associate with that person or to associate with those people which then starts to make this thing become a lot more controversial because if we're talking about this table as somewhere that all are welcome to come to that becomes difficult when we really start to push what we mean by all and we push what we mean by how we associate and you see that in the life of Jesus and you see as he so I talked about last week and I've got a few slides here um, that Jesus at the wedding of Cana like we see this idea of table in ancient time, that Jesus was regularly involved in meals, in, in social inter interactions, in community things, in this idea of the table, whether that was literally sitting around a table or just the heart behind that. So we see the wedding at Cana, where the, there's a sense of abundance. We see then he comes to Matthew the tax collector, Levi the tax collector. Um, this guy shouldn't be included. He's a tax collector. He, he is not seen as someone they want to be there. And yet Jesus includes him. We see that um, Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house, inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house. That, that will be fairly similar to the Queen's guest list or the, the, or the guest list for the Queen's funeral. Who are we inviting, who are we not inviting? Jesus goes against what is expected and what is okay to do by inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house to come and have a meal with him. That's not okay for Jesus to do on a whole different range of things, but he does it Anyway, we then have the idea of Jesus feeding the multitudes, whether the 4,000 or the 5,000, that so I think talked about the idea that you've got one that's all about Jewish people, that actually it's good to provide for them, that, that's great. But then you've got the other table where he feeds the Gentiles. So you've got this idea that actually everybody is fed at Jesus' table. Um, and then you've got the idea of the Last Supper um, with Judas, with the idea that Judas is at this table, Peter's at this table. The, there's people who don't, who are going to go and do something that is not in line with, with the heart and message of what Jesus is doing, and yet they're still at the table. Jesus is still present there at the table. And then, so I also talked about um, the Emmaus Road and the fact you've got guys here who are disappointed and lost and walking away from what they feel or felt was the call, walking away from Jerusalem, and yet Jesus meets them as they're walking away. That as they're leaving behind what, what, what they live for, he meets them on that journey and then meets them in a place that's away from where they felt they should be and he meets them at a table and breaks bread. So you've got this idea again that he's there for the, the lost, the disappointed. 
or you've got the woman washing Jesus' feet. Again, this is in a house where they're having food, they're having things, and she comes and does this, this act that is offensive to everybody else in the room, and yet Jesus praises her for it and goes even beyond that, says that this woman is going to be talked about everywhere the gospel is shared. That he doesn't just include her at the table or kind of like tolerate her, he celebrates her and the action that she's done. And then he also talked about the idea of Jesus having breakfast on the beach where he restores Peter and he brings Peter back into that thing. So you've got this, this thing of the whole life of Jesus where you have this table picture being almost literally shoved down our throats and he is communicating something and saying, this matters. But the key thing in all of this is that, that Jesus is the table. Because as soon as we remove Jesus from that table, so I talked about the fact that we get these, these kind of very strange situations happening. So like with Herod, where Jesus is not included in that, that storyline, you, you, you have with Herod's feast, where he gets John the the Baptist beheaded, you have this idea of kind of social jockeying for position. The people are kind of going, I want to be top dog, I want to be the one, that, one that's in charge, And because you remove Jesus and you bring in that, that social jockeying. Or you can see it with um, the idea that with Peter, when he didn't want to eat with the Gentiles, that Peter has forgotten what Jesus did. Jesus fed the Jews and the Gentiles. Peter forgets that, forgets Jesus, and suddenly it's like, actually, this is only my ethnic group that I'm allowed to eat with. And so you remove Jesus and you make it just about us, just about our type, whatever that type might be. Um, or you have like with Paul in, in, in Corinthians, with the Corinthian church, where he, where he challenges um, those who are just making the Lord's table, the communion table, about just food. You remove Jesus from that and it just becomes about food. Have we got enough food? We want to eat enough food. So this idea that when we take Jesus away from the table, we're actually completely missing the whole point of what this is and it creates other things instead because Jesus is the table and Jesus is the place we come to. And because it's him that we come to, it means it's not becoming about doctrines or about ethnics, ethnic kind of backgrounds or about social standing or about even religious standing or whatever it may be. It becomes about the person of Jesus. That he is the table, he is the point we gather around, he is the point we come to, and because we come to him, it stops it being, I'm gathering around this table because we agree. I'm gathering around this table because we're the same. I'm gathering around this table because we have the same skin color, or because we have the same um, background, or because we have the same even religious beliefs, or the same doctrine. And we're not gathering around the table because of those things. We're gathering around the table because Jesus is the table. So we're gathering around Jesus. We're gathering around Him. And actually, people can come to the table from different sides, different sides of seeing Jesus. That therefore Jeremy's experience of Jesus might be similar to mine, but there's a difference. And therefore he brings something to the table, something of what Jesus looks like that I don't see. And that then becomes more extreme when we go to different contexts and different environments, but actually it brings different perspectives of Jesus to the table because Jesus is the table. So I think that's a bit of a whistle-stop tour. And it brings us to what I want to talk about today. I can't remember what my next slide is, but we'll click on it to see what it is. Yep, okay. So what I want to talk about, the fact is that, is that Jesus is the table. So, so I talked and introduced to all that kind of stuff. And then, but the whole, whole idea, you remove Jesus from the table, you get kind of crazy, weird stuff going on. You get all the things we don't like necessarily, but bring Jesus there and realize Jesus is the table, is the point that we gather around, is the person we gather around. Then it changes everything. And so I want to just dig into this verse here. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 to 19, it says this. Now all things are of God, 
who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have this idea that, that Jesus is the table. You just put the next one up from a piece. That's, that's perfect. See, ahead of the game, Luke. Luke is ahead of the game. Um, You've got, got to say that Jesus is the table. And I want to just put up a couple of emphasised bits on here. So, God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So it's God has reconciled us, I'm going to be God for a minute, us to himself. And that's really, really important language because this is not about God being reconciled, uh, sorry, God being reconciled to us. This is us being reconciled to God. And that is an important distinction because so often um, we kind of miss that emphasis. We miss the emphasis that this is about our minds being changed and not God's mind being changed. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to change um, God's mind about us. Jesus came to change our mind about God. That he, that he came to lead us um, to a place of actually seeing what God's like so our mind is changed about it rather than his mind being changed about us. His appeasing this angry God who, who hated us and didn't like us. Jesus didn't come to kind of appease that. And go, God, actually, they were all right, you know. If they, I mean, I'll sort it out. They were all right. They're not that bad, these people. Um, but actually, that, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came to us as humanity and went, I'm coming here to show you actually what God's like because God looks like Jesus. That Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Paul is emphasising this here, because in the next one, he basically repeats himself. That he, he so wants to get across this point, that he just says it again, in almost just a slightly different way, but the same point he's trying to make. He says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Again, that idea, reconciling the world to himself. Not himself, to the world. God isn't having his mind changed so that he can then come and be with us. That's not what's happening, what Jesus did. He is sending Jesus. Jesus comes to reconcile us back to God. Because we think God is whatever we created him to be. This angry, this distant, this legalistic, this oppressive, this whatever it may be God, that we kind of think we have to do something about that. We can't do anything about it, so we'll just walk away from him. Jesus is going, actually, I've come to show you what God's like in the hope that I can reconcile you back to God. I can draw you, or in other words, draw you back to the table, bring you back to the place where God is. And so we usually have this kind of picture. I think it's the next one on from me. Okay. So Jesus is the table, and he is the place where we are reconciled to God. That Jesus came to be the, the point where we start to see that God is for us, that God loves us, that God is, will challenge us, but is, is with us. That Jesus changes our mind about what God's like in everything that he did. And the next one for me, Luke. Because we probably, in the traditional evangelical perspective of these things, I could have pulled up loads of different pictures, but the one that I've taught, and I've taught it in church, I've taught it in school, I've done it all kinds of stuff, and it is helpful in a way, but it leads us down the wrong thinking is that we usually have this idea, don't we, kind of traditional thing, we've got this kind of gap between God and, and man, and there's this like bridge in them, and then we put the cross on it, that means we can walk across and be with God. Everyone's probably seen that picture at some point. Um, I thought about putting that, but I thought that this is probably a bit easier. This is probably what we think on some level, or have thought on some level, when we think about the pre-Jesus relationship that humanity has with God. 
that we, we, we see the fall as this moment where Adam and Eve messed up, therefore God turned his back on us, and we kind of just gave up and turned our back on God as well. So if we go got this kind of hostile relationship, this kind of fallen out thing of God and us have just turned our back on each other and we just don't want anything to do with each other anymore. Even if we don't think that, we probably think this next one, where maybe we think actually we do need God, therefore we'll kind of do the Ten Commandments, we'll, we'll do all this kind of stuff and we'll, we'll try and turn to God in the hope that we can appease him enough, please him enough, do enough stuff that we can make him want us. And therefore we probably have this <coughs> kind of thought in our mind that... <coughs> We, we've got to do certain things to get God to turn around. We've got to do certain things to get God to engage with us. And we make that legalistic, or we can even make it um, a faith thing. Faith is an important and vital part of our relationship, but faith is not convincing God to turn around. That's not what faith is. Faith is going, God, you already turned around. That's amazing. But we kind of put all these things on top to go, I need to do something to make God face me. Because we have this idea that actually... It wasn't God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We have this idea that Jesus came to reconcile God to us. They need to change God's mind, make God turn around so that God's not angry with us anymore, God's not distant with us anymore. But that's never, ever, ever been the case. So actually what is probably much more like the case is we think, sorry, not this is not the case, we, we think this. We think, and I couldn't find a picture of what it looked like, what we think of God, so I just thought I'll use a woman instead. But we think this. We, we think this idea that we've got to appease and pray and, and persuade God to do stuff. To persuade God to come and just please respond. I'm so sorry about the things I messed up and I'm so disappointed in all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying there's not a place for sorrow. There's not a place for disappointment. I'm not saying those things. But the idea that we believe those things get God to turn around. The idea that we believe those things get God to respond is completely wrong. It's not okay. And we, we kind of have this kind of situation where we think there's this judgmental God who kind of points at us and kind of judges us until we get it all right. Because we believe on some level that Jesus came to reconcile God to us rather than actually coming to show what God's like that we might be reconciled to him, that we might draw near to him. Because then the next slide is probably much more what it's like. That God is constantly facing towards us. From the very moment Adam and Eve did what they did in the garden, God didn't turn his back. The immediate response of God is to Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? Adam and Eve hid. And we all still do that, don't we? We hide in things. Me and Susie were talking the other day about the things that we kind of hide in. Because as part of us goes, I just need to hide from this. It's just too hard, so I hide away. But God is constantly facing towards us. He's never turned his back. Never turns back, never looked away, constantly facing towards us. But what we do is we probably think, I can't cope with this God, I want to hide. I want to. And we don't think it that consciously because then we'd correct it. What we do is we put different legalistic terms on it that mean we just turn our way away from God. So what did God do? As Father, Son and Holy Spirit, what did they do? Is they did this. They came to be God with us that we're not turning our background, we're not, God is constantly facing towards us, but we're refusing to turn around. We're going, we're going to do it our way, we're going to do what we can do, we're going to face and deal with all this stuff on our own. So God goes, okay, we need to change the narrative here, don't we? We need, we need to change the perspective. So Jesus became flesh, so that we could be, he, could be, he could be face to face with us. And that God in Christ, God in Jesus, would reconcile the world, us, to him. Because we're not turning around, so Jesus is going to come and be right in front of us and go, right, this is what he looks like. 
This is what we're like. We're like this. Therefore, you're not going to escape it. You're not going to look away from it. You're going to see what I'm like. All the way through my life, you'll, you'll see what God is like. And that's what this whole passage is to do. I can't remember what the next slide is. Yeah, that Jesus came to change our minds about God, not God's mind about us. That Jesus came to be face to face with humanity, with us, to change our minds about him, not his mind about us. He has never, ever turned his back on us. Ever. We have done that. We have turned away. We have, have shifted ourselves away to all kinds of other random things that we try and do to make ourselves feel better, to hide in. Some of them look noble legalistic practices that make me look like a good noble christian even but with the mindset of i'm doing this because i don't trust god or i've got to do these things to get god's attention or it can be seemingly more destructive things and that was seemingly as important like alcohol or pornography or working too hard or escaping away to holidays or within money and all those kind of different things that we do to hide away because we believe that God has turned his back on us. And therefore I either try really hard to get his attention or I just give up and just hide. But in whatever situation that is, God comes in Jesus to be face to face to us and go, this is what I'm like. I've never turned my back. You've turned yours, so I'm just going to come face to face. Don't know whether it's right to say in church, but if the mountain doesn't come, sorry, the Muhammad doesn't come to the mountain, in this case, the mountain comes to Muhammad. Jesus comes to us to be present with us to be here with us and so you have this phrase that i'm not again i can't remember what the next slide is that god was in everything jesus did that it talks about in that passage we read at the start that that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself that god was in jesus's walk they are father son and spirit they are set in inseparable anyway but the idea that god was with him this oneness together in him to reconcile the world back to himself so in everything jesus did god was in it that he might change our minds about him so we then start to look at the things that Sai talked about last week in the the, the feast at, or the wedding feast at canaan god is in christ in that moment trying to change our minds about what god's like the god's not a god of deficiency or god of less than enough god is a lavish god of more than enough to all the people at that party everybody at that party benefited from jesus turning water into wine everybody benefited and therefore the it's changing our mind about god or we see when jesus invites levi the tax collector who should not be included to come and follow him he's changing our minds about god that should not happen so he goes well, okay this is what we need to do because we need to change people's minds about what i'm like or we see it in zacchaeus jesus should not go god should not go to the house of this chief tax collector this person that is robbed and stolen and abused people jesus and god should not go there but they're changing our minds about god and some of these ways are lovely and we like them some of them are offensive and uncomfortable and it's not okay but that's the whole point he's changing our minds about what god's like or when he feeds the five thousand or feeds the four thousand he's changing our minds about what god's like he's saying that i've got more than enough for everybody to come and be at the table 
doesn't matter what it looks like, there's more than enough for the table. There's enough for the Jews, and there's enough for the Gentiles. There's more than enough, and then there's enough left over. There's more than enough for everybody at the table. There's space for everybody at the table. Or Judas. Doesn't matter. There's still room for him at the table. There's space for him, because he's changing our minds about what God is like. And we keep going. Again, we have on the road to Emmaus. God followed people away from the call and purpose of God. He followed them away. He didn't just say, right, if you want to follow me, you've got to stay here in Jerusalem and just believe what I've told you. Because that, that, that's what happened with these guys. They, they didn't believe what Jesus had said. They, they, they then didn't believe what Mary had said when she found the tomb empty. They didn't believe any of that stuff, so they walked away. But Jesus is saying, actually, I'm gonna, even in your walking away, even when you don't believe me anymore, even when you don't think I'm real anymore, you just, you, even when you've given up everything, I'm walking with you, away from everything, because he's changing our mind about what God is like, every step of the way. Or the woman washing his feet. He's changing our minds about what God is like. He's radically shifting the narrative to go, actually, this is appropriate. This lavishness, this expression, this whatever it may be, he's changing our minds about what God is like. Or, we go a bit further, go on, go on to the next one for us. In every miracle he did, whether it's healing blind eyes, raising the dead, helping the lame walk, the excluded being excluded, every miracle he did is to change our minds about what God is like. That he came to all kinds of people, met them in their place, those who were vulnerable and weak and broken, those who were powerful and strong and able, he met all of them in a miraculous power because he's changing our mind about what God is like. Or in the teachings he gave, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount, or whether it's the parables he told, or whether it's the, the kind of stories he told with the disciples as he's walking from place to place. In all of his teaching, he is changing our mind about what God is like. That he, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Going, this is what God's actually like. This is what I'm actually like. And therefore, bit by bit by bit, our minds are starting to shift. Are starting to turn. Actually, maybe... I am welcome at the table. Maybe it is okay for me to come. Maybe God is actually good. Maybe I just maybe sit on the edge of the chair at the table. Maybe I just kind of stand behind the chair and just, but maybe it's time to help us shift. Or in the challenges he gave. And this is, again, it's a big one. We look at it sometimes on face value and it looks like Jesus does not like the Pharisees, does not like the Sadducees, does not like the religious elite. Except when we think that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So even in his challenges, what's he trying to do? He's trying to change their minds about what God is like, so that they would come to the table. That's why he did it. Not because he wanted to prove he was right and they were wrong, but because he wants them to come to the table. Or, as he is born in a manger, think of that. That he is changing our minds about what God is like. Yes, God is powerful. Yes, he heals the sick. Yes, he raises the dead. Yes, he does all those kind of things. But he also comes as a vulnerable, innocent baby. In the first table. 
the manger, the feeding trough. Not glamorous, not, not wonderfully elaborate, but just simple, basic humanity being met or meeting God. He comes to change our mind about what God is like. Or as he dies on a cross, willing to give himself, not to appease an angry God, not to go, right, I'll die on this cross because then maybe, just maybe, God will turn his face back to humanity. But he dies on a cross because God is facing humanity. And he's never stopped facing us. And therefore Jesus is going, I'm going to face you to such a degree that I will let you kill me face to face. But I'll still look at you, I'll still love you, I'll still engage with you because that's what God is like. This did not appease an angry God. This just expressed the love of, an ang a, love of a loving Father towards humanity. And they'll be changing what God looks like. In the resurrection, that life always triumphs over death. He's changing our minds about what God is like. In everything he did, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In everything he did, he is trying to communicate to us, this is what God is like. This is what he wants. This is what he's looking for. And this next one for me. So that's a lovely message. I hope. Or maybe it's a rubbish message. And Either way. Um, Jesus came to change our minds about God, not to change God's mind about us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not himself to the world. But it doesn't stop there in what Paul says here. Twice he says, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That Paul expands what Jesus came to do, expands what God was doing in Christ, it talks about that, then actually goes, and now that same thing is given to us. So what thing is that? It's that word of reconciliation. That we have the same mandate to invite. And I use that word loosely, invite. I just can't think of a better word because it's not like coming to a location. I'm sure you know what I mean that, but like the idea of invite to turn, I suppose is one more what I mean, to, to see the, the, the tables ready for them. To invite people to the table, to, to, to Jesus, which is what the table is, to invite people to come like Jesus did. Jesus came to where they were to say, look, this is what God's like. He's not just good, but he wants you to be present. He wants you to be here. I want, I'm, I'm bringing myself into your life because I want you to show you, you are invited. You are, you are included in this thing. And to help each other see what God is really like. And that he's always been with us or them. Do we have this core and purpose to be ministers of the same word of reconciliation, to be, to be people that share the same thing, to help people see that God is already at work in their lives because he cares for them and he's with them. To help people see this is what God's actually like. He's not like you think over here. And some of that is difficult and is controversial and, and is hard because some of it requires us to, to point out errors and to point out incorrect perceptions to say it's like think about jesus how many times did, did he say things like you've heard it said but actually this is what it's like he's not trying to be antagonistic in the sense of i just want to wind people up he's he's using a method where he goes okay I would, this is what you think but actually this is really what it's like 
And he does that on multiple occasions, sometimes directly, you've heard it said, sometimes indirectly in just the way he behaves in a certain situation to go, I know you expect me to behave like this because that's what you think God is like, but actually I'm going to behave like this because that's actually what God is like. And the beautiful thing is the more that we realise that God is constantly, has his face turned toward us, the more we end up communicating that perspective of God to people. If I have a view of an angry and distant and legalistic God who I've got to appease so he turns around in everything I do, that's how I'll behave. Whether that's as a husband or whether that, that's as a father, whether that's as a, as a work in a business, whether that's as a church leader, whether that, that's a follower of Jesus and all those things I will communicate that message that actually it's really really hard to get my approval it's really really difficult to kind of appease me it's where I'm going to be really harsh and judgmental and critical but when we realize that actually God's constantly got his face turned toward us what we end up doing is behaving in such a way that it doesn't mean there's not challenge but the challenge is not to critique or criticize someone the challenge is actually what you're believing in that way is not helpful to you at all Come and let's see it this way instead. We've been given this same word of reconciliation, this same mandate to invite people to the table or let people realise that the table is before them. The table is present. Come and take a seat. Come and find belonging. Come and find home. Not because you've got it all together, not, not because you've got it all perfect, but because actually none of us have. But come and find a seat anyway. Come and be present anyway because God doesn't need perfection. He just wants response just real just turn and just oh he's there he's actually there he's there all the time the table is jesus and because it's jesus all can come everyone can come to jesus i just pray i'm gonna stop there i just pray that some i thank you that something that i've said i believe has resonated with what you're doing already in each of our lives Thank you that you, by your spirit, are at work in each of us individually. And I just pray that the things that have stirred, the things that have prompted, the things that have come up as I've taught this morning, I just pray that you would help us to guard those, to nourish those, to protect those, to dink on those, to chew on those, to mull on those, so that they would become something that goes deep down in our hearts. And that, that we might all benefit from the fruit that those things bring in our lives. Help us to see that your face has always been turned toward us. Help us to live that out in the way that we are towards other people too, just like Jesus did. In Jesus' name, amen.